In the middle of a summer heat wave, a classic comedy just feels right. Keeping in mind that comedy is oh so subjective, I decided to focus on one of my favorite comedies of all time, starring a troupe of outstanding actors so skilled that the script is mostly improvised. I have so many lines in this film memorized. You know, there's two queer couples in the ensemble cast, and still I have to wonder, is this an LGBTQ film? My answer may surprise you. So come on and join me for an episode that defines the dog days of summer. And after that last line, I'm sure you figured it out. Welcome. You're listening to Real Charlie Speaks an LGBTQ podcast spinoff of the film and television review blog, Real Charlie, looking at movies and TV from a gay male perspective since 2009. I'm your host, Philip Barr. Each month, I select a classic queer film, television series, or creator. I talk about how the subject spoke to me when I first discovered it years ago and how it stood the test of time. Join me now as we begin another episode adventure. Pine nut, hazelnut, macadamia nut. (laughs) Did you guess it? (laughs) It's 23 years ago, and we're here to discuss Christopher Guest's 2000 mockumentary Best in Show. As I mentioned, one of my favorite comedies of all time. And with the caveat that comedy is extremely subjective. You know, on my blog, Real Charlie, I've been reviewing film and television for a long time, 14 years. And the one thing I know is that every time I review a comedy and either love it or hate it, or somewhere in between, I usually leave room for other people to have a different interpretation. It's really interesting. Comedy really is subjective. So Christopher Guest got his big break starring in Rob Reiner's 1984 film, This Is Spinal Tap. After that, he appeared in such films as The Princess Bride, the 1986 musical remake of Little Shop of Horrors, which also starred Steve Steve Martin. And as a co-writer and director, Guest made the Hollywood satire The Big Picture. I just want to read a little bit from his Wikipedia page. Normally, I don't do this, but um, I just want to make sure that I get up front, I get all the details because... He has a troupe of actors, as I mentioned in the teaser, that he works has worked with throughout the course of his career. And I just want to make sure that we sort of start out with that. So I'm just going to read a quick paragraph from his Wikipedia page. The experience of making This Is Spinal Tap directly informed the second phase of his career, Guest's career. Starting in 1996, Guest, be- Guest began imp- writing, directing, and acting in his own series of substantially improvised films. Many of them are considered definitive examples of what came to be known as mockumentaries, not a term that Guest appreciates in describing his unusual approach to exploring the passions that make the characters in his films so interesting. He maintains that his intention is not to mock anyone, but to explore insular, perhaps obscure communities through his method of filmmaking. Together, Guest, his frequent writing partner, Eugene Levy, 
and guest and Eugene Levy did co-write Best in Show that we're going to talk about today. And a small band of actors have formed a loosely repertory group, which appears in several films. These include Catherine O'Hara, Michael McKean, Parker Posey, Bob Balaban, Jane Lynch, John Michael Higgins, Michael Hitchcock, there's so many Michaels, Harry Shear, Jennifer Coolidge, Ed Begley Jr., Jim Piddock, and Fred Willard. Guest and Levy write backgrounds for each of the characters and note cards for each specific scene, outlining the plot, and then leave it up to the actors to improvise the dialogue, which is supposed to result in a much more natural conversation than scripted dialogue would. Typically, everyone who appears in these movies receives the same fee and the same portion of profits. Among the films performed in this manner, which have been written and directed by guests, include Waiting for Guffman from 1996, about a community theater group, Best in Show, which is our movie today, from 2000, about a dog show circuit, A Mighty Wind from 2001, about folk singers, For Your Consideration in 2006, about the hype surrounding Oscar season, and finally, Mascots in 2016, about a sports team mascot competition. Mascot is also, unfortunately, the last film that Guest has made up until today, 2023. So fingers crossed that he might do a comeback and just want to do one or two more films because we sure would love that. So I have to tell you that when I sat down to watch this, because I always watch each film either the morning of or the day before that I do this taping, I actually got excited just putting the Blu-ray into the machine. That's how much I love this film. Um, It makes me laugh like no other film makes me laugh. And you know, it's really important for us to remember how important laughter is. I think laughter is a stress reliever. I think laughter connects us to the larger world. I think laughter is a way to work through anxiety and loneliness and sadness and depression. And film and television can really do wonders for that. So this film is a mockumentary, as was stated in the Wikipedia page. It starts out with an overview of each of the main characters from the film. So the way that this is set up is that there's five dogs and their owners trainers and handlers. So it's five dogs total that they're focused on. There's other dogs that are in the competition, but for the movie itself, there's five dogs. Um, and then there's some owner owners, there's some owner trainers, there's some handlers, there's some owner handlers, and they all travel to Philadelphia to compete in the Mayflower Kennel Club dog show. The first set of The first couple that comes on is Jerry and Cookie Fleck, which is played by Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. If you're thinking, hmm, uh, uh, let's just save that till the end of the podcast, because I guarantee you that I'm going to talk about everyone's careers after Best in Show happened and after everyone sort of flew from this really cozy um, ensemble group that really pumped out a number of phenomenal films. So Jerry and Cookie Fleck are a middle-class couple from Florida. They arrive at the Taft Hotel in Philadelphia with their Norwich Terrier, Winky. There's a hysterical (laughs) scene um, 
as they're having a uh, best of luck and a last uh, final um, outdoor barbecue in their house uh, with their friends and neighbors, and they sing a song (laughs) called God Loves a Terrier, which I don't know. Once you've seen it, you just can't can't ever stop smiling or laughing whenever you hear that term, God loves a terrier. Uh, Once they get to the hotel, unfortunately, um, they've forgotten to pay their credit card bill. They're short of cash, and they're talking to the hotel manager who's played by Ed Begley Jr., and he comes up with an idea to at least allow them to stay in Philadelphia, and that is is that they sleep in the utility closet. (laughs) I didn't think I was going to laugh during the podcast, but I'm just... These images are just coming up and I just can't I can't stop. I'm not even going to delete this out because it's a comedy film. Um, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, who are playing Jerry and Cookie Fleck, end up sleeping in the utility closet on the first floor. And when she asks about a shower and a bathroom, <laughs> Ed Begley's character says, Oh, yes, of course. It's downstairs, two floor. It's two floors down. And in the lobby, it's actually the lobby bathroom. There's sink, there's paper towels, and toilet paper. <laughs> and she just like looks at her husband, although she's the one that managed the money. So I think they're both kind of a little strapped. So the other thing that's really funny is while they traveled to the show, um, they encounter several. They encountered several of Cookie's former lovers who try to seduce her again. So this is sort of a theme throughout the whole film: is that. Um, Cookie was a fun time gal. Um, There's no slut shaming in this movie, which I'm really thrilled about. So Cookie is her own woman. She's had a lot of fun before she met Jerry and married Jerry. And she just, unfortunately for Jerry's uh, self-esteem, she keeps running into old lovers who tell her, uh, fortunately, they tell her how great she was in bed all throughout the whole film. Again, I just, there's just a couple scenes that are, you know, there's one scene where somebody says, uh, I'm not wearing underwear. They sort of sing sing it. (laughs) Oh boy, here we go. Um, (laughs) The next couple is Meg and Hamilton Swan. Meg is played by uh, one of my favorite actors, indie actress, uh, 80s, uh, just love girl, uh, Parker Posey. Um, And Michael Hitchcock plays Hamilton Swan. So they're sort of a stereotypical yuppie couple. They're from a Chicago suburb. And they have a winerama named Beatrice. So um, they're do- constantly doting on Beatrice. They're very buttoned up. Um, they're very. Uh, they they wear a lot of uh, nice clothing, and they're very. They're they're obviously they're trying to be affluent, um, and they have some income for that. But they are so neurotic and so full of anxiety, and the poor dog is just a, a re- receptacle for all of that. In fact, in the very beginning of the film, the film opens with the two of them talking about this person named Beatrice and the, how Beatrice caught them making love and how Beatrice, uh, they feel shame and they feel like Beatrice wants to feel, make them feel shame. And you don't know who Beatrice is until it pans down. Of course, Beatrice is the winerama and the winerama is just sort of lying on the couch next to the therapist. It's very funny. That's, uh, that's Megan Hamilton Swan. So the next person is Christopher Guest. Christopher Guest plays um, the only sort of single person in the film. So, uh, or, or I should say single dog owner in the film. So his he's from North Carolina. 
His name is Harlan Pepper, which is just so perfect. He's 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 very um, you know he's he's just a sweet natured, really low key, um, no drama kind of guy. He's this he's you know he's from the South, from North Carolina, as I mentioned. He's the owner of a fishing goods store. He's also an inspiring ventriloquist, which is just crazy. And he arrives at the hotel with his bloodhound, Hubert. So it's Harlan and Hubert. And Hubert is a bloodhound. He's absolutely beautiful. Um, The Pepper family has raised a variety of hounds for generation. So Harlan sort of continues this tradition by raising bloodhounds. And that opening after we came out of the music and the intro where I said pine nut, uh, hazelnut, macadamia nut, that's a whole... That's a whole line in the film where Harlan talks about when he was a little kid because he's from Pine Nut, North Carolina. When he was uh, when he was growing up, he used to drive his mother crazy by naming all the nuts. He could name all the nuts in the whole world. <laughs> so from Harlan, we jump to Sherry Ann Cabot, and Sherry Ann Cabot is played. I mean, I don't even know if I can like tell you any more about Sherry Ann Cabot without starting to laugh. Sherry Ann Cabot is played absolutely to perfection by the actress Jennifer Coolidge. She's a very buxom, very overly made up. She's a trophy wife of an extremely elderly man named Leslie Ward Cabot. Um, and their opening is just hysterical because the first time you meet them, Sherry Ann is talking about their relationship. Um, and this is the mockumentary style is that people are are interviewed similar to like um, talking heads in a, in a documentary. So Sherry Ann Cabot's sitting there being interviewed and she's talking about how much in common she has with Leslie Ward Cabot, even though he's like, I don't know, 40 years older than her. He's like probably in his late 90s um, and just blinks through the whole thing. The actor that's playing him is absolutely hysterical. So um, Sherry Ann is a former two-time winner of Best in Show and she, um, her dog is uh, named Butch, but the actual name is called Rhapsody in White. She's a, a standard poodle, all white, absolutely gorgeous creature. The trainer, she has, she has hired a trainer. So her trainer is Christy Cummings. Christy Cummings is played by a pre-Glee Jane Lynch. So if you can imagine, before there was Glee, before there was Mrs. Maisel, I discovered Jane Lynch in Best in Show, and oh my God, she was unbelievable in this film. Just absolutely hysterical. So she's a butch lesbian. Um, She's extremely competitive. She's also full of anxiety as well, and she just rigorously trains butch for the show. Um, She doesn't, you know, Sherry Ann is very girly. Um, Christy is very, uh, very tomboy, and it's just, it's just absolutely hysterical. So that's the first sort of inkling that, oh, there's LGBTQ characters in this film, is um, you're seeing not necessarily Sherry Ann Cabot, but you're seeing Christy Cummings, who's definitely um, a, definitely butch. So the next couple is really gay. <laughs> the next couple is Scott Dolan and Stefan Vanderhoof, who are played, again, absolutely brilliantly by the actors John Michael Higgins, who plays the young Scott, and Michael McKeon, who plays the older Stefan. They're just a really sweet couple. Um, Stefan explains how they met, that he was at a dog show. He saw Scott 
showing and he was there with his ex-wife and he asked his ex-wife who that was and she said oh that's scott he 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 cuts hair just like you do and he also shows dogs so they met and they have like a real love of uh 30s and 40s classic film so they went out on a couple dates together and saw some movies and fell in love and it's just really 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 sweet and they're also there's a camp element to their characters, but I have to tell you that both of them play it very like low. So it's not over the top camp. It's not like, um, uh, you know, there's not confetti being thrown in the air or anything like that. There's some really, really funny lines. Um, but again, both of the actors are so good that they really tone it down so that the laughter is even more so. Cause you're kind of like, what, what did he just say? It's just very, very funny. So let's sideline the rest of the plot for just a moment because I want to really talk about something that is crucial to this podcast episode. Um, in the very beginning, I said, you know, what makes a film LGBTQ and is this film really an LGBTQ film? So, 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 so far we've found out that um, the film has uh, a lesbian dog trainer in it. It's got uh, uh, a gay male couple who are an owner, trainer, uh, shower. That's all we know so far. I can tell you, because there's no surprise, that Christopher Guest is not gay. Christopher Guest is actually married to Jamie Lee Curtis. So they've been married for about 40 years. He is, however, the father of a transgender child. However, that came along a lot later. So um, so he um, he's played gay characters, but he is not gay himself. You know, I do a history of LGBTQ film and television. I've done it a couple of times over the years. I haven't done it recently, actually. I did it during COVID um, about three years ago, and I haven't done it since then. But the, one of the first things I do is that I break down in, a, in sort of a chart all the different things that could possibly make a film either queer or LGBTQ. And so I thought it was good. I thought it would be a good idea to go over that with all of you today because that's really sort of the focus of this film. It's like because I think that if somebody saw the list of all the films for Real Charlie Speaks and they came to Best in Show, they'd be like, is Best in Show a gay film? Is it a queer film? So let's just break this down. And then I'm going to go back to the plot. I'm going to finish talking about the whole movie. And then at the very end, we're going to make a decision like, is this really an LGBTQ film? Is the creator LGBTQ? So uh, is the producer L LGBTQ, the writer, very important, the director, extremely important, um, the filmmaker overall, um, or the showrunner if it's a television series? Number two, um, are the characters, are there main characters that are LGBTQ? Uh, is Are there secondary or supporting characters that are LGBTQ? And how much airtime do they have or how much space do those characters take up? Does their storylines propel the story forward or are they just in the background assisting? You know, we always used to talk about the gay best friend. Um, and there were a lot of, uh, you know, white girl movies out there that had a gay best friend who had about 10 minutes of airtime during the course of a hundred minute film. Um, definitely not a gay film, a gay character in a film, but not a gay film. And then what about the plot? Is the plot about LGBTQ? Is it about equal rights? Is it about marriage equality? Is it about coming out? Or does it, or is it just that these people happen to be LGBTQ? 
And then the last question that you always have to ask yourself when thinking about is a film queer or LGBTQ is what is the overall feel of the show um, or the film? And that's where guests' genius really comes in. Is there a queer sensibility to it? Are the people outsiders? Um, are they relating to the non-majority? Is it an iconic film? Like, is does it reference larger cultural symbols? Is it something with, say, Judy Garland in it or uh, Marilyn Monroe or Rock Hudson? And then finally, is there a camp element to it? Um, and camp meaning like really over the top, purposefully over the top to to just bring in like all the laughs and just um, it's sort of like a parody of reality. So you've got people like John Waters and RuPaul's Drag Race and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, there's lots of examples um, out there of camp. Uh, Christopher Gaspesson's show is total camp. <laughs> it is it is camp from start to finish. Fred Willard, who is a straight guy, when he does his commentary, that is total camp. It's just hysterical. So that so just keep that in mind as we sort of go through the uh, the rest of the plot and the rest of the story in Best in Show and see what you think and see what you think. And then I'll talk about that at the very end and I'll give you my opinion and uh, you can decide if you do agree or disagree. So getting back to the movie, um, it's the day before the event. Uh, Sherry Ann and Christy are in Philadelphia. So they're because they're two-time winners, they're going to be on AM Philadelphia. So they do um, this interview again. The dog's name is Butch. Uh, Butch is a very white, very femmy, um, uh, very... Uh, when I say femmy, I mean the dog is just groomed. It's a poodle. It's a giant poodle, um, standard poodle that's just groomed to the absolute max. Um, the funniest thing about this scene even with the two actresses in this, Jennifer and Jane, is not Jennifer and Jane, but the two co the two co-hosts, the co-hosts of AM Philadelphia. They have a very small role in this scene, but they bring them out. The, the women sit down with the dog. They chatter a little bit, and then it's like five seconds, and the two of them sort of sit up. They, they you know, their posture gets to sit up, and the guy turns to the woman and he says. And he takes a breath and he goes, energy. <laughs> I know comedy is subjective, but I have to tell you that over the last 23 years, I have said energy and I've actually explained what energy means to more than at least a dozen people. I just find it to be absolutely hysterical. And you know what? It's really true. Even when I do this podcast, I clear my throat. I sort of sit up straight. I maybe yell a couple things or say some some words just to sort of get things moving before I jump right in and, you know, start the show. So it was just so perfect. Um, you know, then there's parties that evening. It's the night before the show. Uh, there's a lot, there's two major pre-parties. Sherry Ann is hosting a pre-party at one of the hotels. And, um, and then the actual hotel, the Taft is also, um, hosting a pre-show party, but it's not as glamorous at Sherry Ann's is full of people in tuxedos and ball gowns. And the, um, you know, the hotel's got Gouda, as Jerry Fleck <laughs> talks about. Um, but the fun thing is the interaction between the Flex and Scott and Stefan. It's just very, very funny. Um, 
and uh, there's a whole thing about uh, Mary and um, Scott has a um, a um, name tag on that says hi my name is Mary it's just very very funny um, and uh, and there's sort of like a warmness that happens between the four characters that I find really um, just really touching because there's just moments um, there's there's kind of moments of, of that throughout the show um, and you know it's a competition so you know it's not the Super Bowl um, but to these people it's like they made it to this point they and each of them of course I'm not giving anything away it's pretty logical each of them wins their best of group so the five of them along with other people are in the best in show Megan Hamilton are also there. They end up talking to Harlan. Uh, Harlan is going on and on about fly fishing. Meg and Meg is completely bored. She's just staring off into space. It's very funny. And Hamilton interrupts him at some point and says, is your jacket L.L. Bean? And then he says, I'm just going to check. And he goes to pull. And of course, Meg is like, you know, Hamilton, what are you doing? You know, the two of them are just bickering through the entire movie. Uh, there's a scene where before they get into, when they first get to the airport, before they take the plane, they've got, of course, a gigantic um, uh, dog kennel that is for the Weinerammer, um, Beatrice, because Weinerammers are big dogs. And so they don't have the dog in the kennel yet. And then somebody comes up to them and goes to pet the dog. And the dog barks at the guy and they're yelling at him and they're saying they're going to sue him. And of course, all this stress is like the worst thing that could happen to this poor dog that's going to be in this competition. So the next morning is the morning of the show. And of course, you know, it's a movie. So obviously the groups would all happen each day. You know, there'd be days and days of this. It would be week long. So there'd be one day would be for sporting or maybe they do do two groups in one day. But this is, you know, ridiculous because they do all the groups in one day and then they have best in show in the evening or whatever. So um, but they do introduce the commentary guys that are uh, because it's televised. So these are the commentary guys that, um, you know, are going to be on, you know, the pet channel or whatever. So it's um, Fred Willard um, is Buck McLaughlin. And then there is a British actor playing Trevor Beckwith, who is like a, uh, you know, he has written book about dogs. Um, he's, you know, he breeds dogs. Fred is, of course, the crazy person that, um, you know, the great thing about Fred Willard, um, you know, RIP Fred Willard, is that he was always very ordinary looking and he never looked like he was up to no good. He never looked like he had like a wit or a snappy, you know, retort to anything. But that was the genius of Fred Willard because you'd stick him in something and all of a sudden he would just come out with this stuff. And of course, because this is improvised, oh my gosh, the stuff that comes out of his mouth is absolutely hysterical. Fred and Trevor are now, you know, are doing the commentary on the show. Megan Hamilton have this entire meltdown when they're prepping Beatrice for the show. Um, and there's this whole scene about Busy Bee. So if you ever know any people that are completely obsessed with this film, like I am, um, if they say, go get Busy Bee, <laughs> that's because the scene with Megan Hamilton, um, they've forgotten Beatrice's favorite toy and they think that's what's going to make everything okay. Not the fact that they should just calm the fuck down and not freak out the dog, but they think that Busy Bee, so, you know, Meg goes back to the hotel. She gets Ed Begley's character involved. There's a maid that comes in that she completely tortures and she screams and then goes to a pet store and buys this like purple chicken. <laughs> 
It's just, it just gets worse and worse and worse. The movie continues, uh, as I said, first it's best in group, and we sort of, you know, clip through those pretty quickly. Um, I will tell you that one of the five people does not make it through best in group. So when we get to best in show, it's the four, it's four of the five dogs that we were have been introduced to throughout the film. Who is the winner? And well, the winner. And the absurdity of the handler will bring a smile to anyone's face. Um, And again, there's a line right after the winner wins that um, I have screamed and said um, a million times in the last uh, in the last 23 years. So I'm not going to tell you who the winner is. Isn't that a good thing? And uh, I'm not going to tell you anything about the about the end because I really. Uh, if you haven't seen this film, I really want you to fall in love with this film, and hopefully, it's going to be your, you know, hopefully, it's going to be your uh, your cup of tea. So, six months later, the film isn't over, and the film doesn't doesn't end with the winner, which I thought was really great. So, there's an epilogue where they go back to all the major characters and what are they up to, whether they won or whether they didn't win, doesn't really matter. What are they doing? So, at this point in the episode, I want to say that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how I saw this film when I first watched it 23 years ago and then, of course, how I feel about it now. So in 2001, a year after this film was created, I began my return to work full-time by clerking at a crazy good video store. Remember those video stores? In Kingston, New York. I had moved to Kingston, New York uh, in 2000 to get out of New York City. I was spinning my wheels. I really didn't know how to get back off of disability and on and on and on. Um, And so I found this amazing video store called Alternative Video. And it housed an an incredible collection of films. We were really a diverse group of people that were working there. We weren't the typical blockbuster group. I think there was one person that was under, maybe there were two people that were under 30. Um, But everybody was kind of close to 30. And then there were some people in their 40s and 50s. So we were a much older crowd. We really, I think, because of that and because of the diversity of the the collection was phenomenal. Um, My dear friend, Barbara Salzman, who um, owned the the store, she just had this just like laser focus on finding just the best films for the collection. So it, again, not like Blockbuster at all. Um, And... The other thing that I have to say that we normally did not do is we did not like the same films. She really hired a very eclectic group of people to work for her. And so when we would do staff picks, nobody would ever have to worry about overlapping because, you know, there was somebody who liked horror films. There was somebody who liked classic films. There was somebody like Barbara and I who liked LGBTQ films. So it was it was just very, very, very diverse. But... Here's the but. I will tell you that everyone that I worked with in that store during this time period loved Best in Show. (laughs) So much so that I don't even think I had one movie in common with one, one of the other clerks that was there. But he and I would quote lines from Best in Show to each other. Or I'd come in to relieve him and he'd have it on. Or he'd come in to relieve me and I'd have it on. So it was really not only... Um, a really, it, it didn't only speak to a wide range of audience, obviously, um, but it also brought us together in in a really great way. So, Best in Show was one of those films. There were a couple of them, but Best in Show was definitely one of 
a, a handful of films, I would say maybe a half a dozen or, or a dozen films that really sort of brought us together over the years, all of us that worked there. So that was just a lovely, lovely um, uh, thing for that for that film to do. So, of course, I love the film back there. You know, it's absolutely, you know, ridiculous to even, why do I even have to say that? But yes, I love the film. From the moment I saw the film, the very first time I saw the film, I could not stop laughing. I've watched it over and over again. I've had it on VHS. I've had it on DVD. I now have it on Blu-ray. I probably have watched it streaming. The film definitely holds up for me. Um, I find, I have a really hard time finding comedies that I can laugh out loud to. Um, and Best in Show combines the best, the best of best, capital best. It combines the best of comedy with the nostalgia that I continue to feel for that time period in my life. Um, I just have such great memories of that early 2000s and the video store and Best in Show. Every time I watch it, I think of those those times. So um, I promised that I would talk a little bit about what everybody's been doing since 2000, since they made Best in Show. So as we've talked about, there's just an incredible group of people. Um, so I'm going to start out with Parker Posey because she's my gal. Parker continues to work consistently. She's released a memoir in 2018. She's also She also starred in Party Girl, which was actually pre-Best in Show, but it's one of my favorite like 80s indie New York City films of all time. It really ranks right up there um, with Desperately Seeking Susan and a couple of other New York City indie films from that time period. She also had a minor but extremely pivotal character, a role in um, the adaptation of Tales of the City. She played Connie Bradshaw in that. So um, if you have seen the original Tales of the City from 93 that PBS produced or either of the um, sequels, um, you'll see her in the, in those. The uh, not the Netflix one that was just out recently, a couple years ago, but definitely that. John Michael Higgins um, has starred in a mountain of movies and television, and um, probably since Best in Show is is best known, um, lowercase B, best known for Happily Divorced with Fran Jesser, Drescher. Uh, Fran uh, created that show and it was based on her relationship with her husband who she was with since she was in high school. This is a true story. And then he came out as being gay like 20 years after they got married and they got divorced, but they stayed best friends. Um, Higgin is, Higgins is really gay for pay. He's, um, you know, non-porn gay for pay. He's uh, He plays gay really, really well, um, even though he's married, uh, you know, he's been married and uh, has kids. Michael McKeon, he's been in everything. Michael McKeon is that character actor that you're like, where did I see him in? Okay, so he's been in all the Christopher Guest films, but guess who Michael McKeon was a long time ago, back in the 1970s, a long time before 2000. He was Lenny in Laverne and Shirley. He was in Clue. He was in Better Call Saul just recently. He played... He played Saul's brother in Better Call Saul. Bob Balaban, he continued his partnership with Christopher Guest. He also wrote, uh, he also um, created the story for Gosford Park. Um, and he was even connected to 80 for Brady recently this last year. And I think he's 77, so he's still working. Really talented guy um, with a huge, just a huge resume behind him. Um, speaking of massive careers, Ed Begley Jr., um, I, I don't even know where to start. Like he 
it goes all the way back to the 70s and then forward. Um, you know, uh, it's funny. He played um, Ruth's boyfriend on Six Feet Under. He's also been an environmental activist his whole life as well. Uh, Michael Hitchcock uh, has been writing and producing shows, um, uh, not so much acting. So he's produced um, and written for shows like Glee, where Jane Lynch uh, exploded onto the scene from, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which I mentioned earlier about an example of a really great camp comedy. And then, of course, we start getting to uh, people that all of you probably know off the top of your head. Jane Lynch, of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I was introduced to her with Best in Show. She had massive fame as Sue on Glee. And then she's just recently wrapped up The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where she had a minor role, but extremely important to the show and to the story and was just unbelievable in that role. Our gal, Jennifer Coolidge. What can I say about Jennifer Coolidge? I mean, it's the year of Jennifer Coolidge. It's 2023. Um, and it's been since COVID has been, uh, has, has we've said goodbye to COVID and um, Jennifer Coolidge's career has just like exploded. Um, and she's 60 years old. So she was Stifler's mom in the American Pie franchise. She had a whole bunch of bit parts in a ton of films. But really, in the last couple of years, you know, her star has taken off. She, Mike White brought her into his project, The White Lotus. She's the only character that went from season one to season two. So she was in both seasons. She had a hysterical line in season two that's been turned into a meme, been turned into t-shirts. And her line was, these gays are trying to murder me. She's been in some really great films called Like a Boss, um, Tiffany Haddish's film, Single All the Way, the lovely um, gay male holiday film and The Watcher, which was super, super creepy. I saw that. So it's definitely the season of Coolidge right now. And I'm, I really hope she's enjoying this ride because we certainly are enjoying seeing her talent not only be recognized, but where she gets parts that are really, really su superb. And then, of course, finally, we've got Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy. We cannot talk about Best in Show without sort of the king and queen of everything. So um, it's funny because when I was watching this, um, my uh, my best friend and my came into the room and he uh, looked at Catherine O'Hara and said, oh no, it's Lisa's boss from Six Feet Under. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. She did play Lisa's boss on Six Feet Under. So she did play Lisa's boss on Six Feet Under, but dear Lord, do we know Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy from Schitt's Creek? And let me tell you, when Schitt's Creek started, I kept saying to everybody, you do know that the origin story for Schitt's Creek is best in show because Catherine and Eugene were the flex in Best in Show. And of course, the characters are completely different, but they were a married couple there. They were very funny together, and they're a married couple in Schitt's Creek. So that's that crazy cast of Best in Show and all the great things that they've done um, since Best in Show has, has uh, come onto the scene uh, a mere 23 years ago. Wrapping up, is this an LGBTQ film? Is Best in Show queer? Is it gay? Is it LGBTQ? What do you think my answer is going to be? I'm going to say no. <laughs> and you know, I really struggled with this. I got about three quarters of the way through the film and I'm like, I don't think this is an LGBTQ film. And then I thought, 
I got to start from scratch. I got to dump this and find another film to do for this month. And I have to start all over again. And then I thought, no, you don't. Because we can have a conversation about what makes a film LGBTQ. So we did that at the opening of the episode. And I have to say that now that we've gone through the entire episode together, I'm going to say no, it's not an LGBTQ film. It's got camp in it throughout, so it's definitely got camp. It's got LGBT characters. It's got a couple, and then it's got Christy. Um, and then later in the show, something happens. I'm not going to give that that spoiler away. But basically, there's two LGBTQ couples, but they're part of an ensemble. Um, it's like it's like Keith and David on Six Feet Under. They were part of an ensemble. So is Best in Show an, a huge ally film? Is it a very positive representation of queers? Is it celebratory of uh, queers within the context of everyone else? 100% yes to all three of those questions. 100% yes. Um, I love this film. It just stands the test of time. I'm honored to have brought it. Um to Real Charlie Speaks as an example of why not all films with LGBTQ characters are, well, LGBTQ. Even though the answer is no, I think this has been a great addition to the podcast because now we can go on in subsequent episodes and really dig in and really talk about you know, what makes these films queer? What makes these films LGBTQ? So that's my answer. You may agree. You may disagree. You can feel free to leave comments. You can go to my blog, realcharlie.com and leave a comment there. Um, I, I'm so happy I did this. I'm so happy I stuck with Best in Show. I'm so happy that I um, sort of played a trick and said, uh, is this really an LGBTQ film? And then said no at the very end. I love all that. Best in Show is just, it makes me personally laugh and I need so many laughs. I need as many laughs as I can possibly get because it's a cruel, cruel world out there. We know that. I don't have to go on about that. We do. We know. We know what we're all facing. But laughter and especially film and television can take us out of ourselves for a half an hour, for 90 minutes and really give us a break allow us to take a breath so that we can fortify ourselves and go back for the fight the next day and be stronger and grounded and calmer because we had our laughs. I'm Philip R. This is Real Charlie Speaks. I love you all as I always do. I thank you for listening to me and I look forward to the next month and then a month after that. Um, we have some really good things coming down the pike. Um, so please, Subscribe from whatever platform that you are listening to and um, tell your friends about it, your family members about it. Uh, I um, I just wish you all a great, great month and I will see you very soon. I won't see you. I will hear you and you will hear me very soon. This is a podcast. This is Real Charlie Speaks. I'm Philip Barr.